Kareth Foster is a speaker, humorist, and author of the best-selling book, You Can Be Perfect or You Can Be Happy, and creator of Inversity, a revolutionary way to address diversity, equity, and inclusion. She's a radio TV personality who's appeared on Comedy Central, Oprah, VH1, The Today Show, The View, her humorous and thoughtful TEDx talk, The Art of Defying Stereotypes, Learning to be true to your voice has garnered, garnered rather accolades worldwide. What I want to discuss first and foremost is this concept of you can be perfect or you can be happy. First of all, Gareth, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us this early this morning. Hi, good morning. Thank you for having me. My honor. So, uh, I think a lot of us have this misconception that if I become perfect, that we don't never say that we <laughs> attainable, but we have this idea that if we become perfect, then somehow we're going to be happy. It sounds like you feel they're almost opposed to one another. Is well, right? if you read the book, what I'm actually saying is that perfection is a lie. So I just kind of, I gave you a heads up of what's in the book. There's no such thing as perfection. Um, You know, we can certainly strive for excellence. We can strive to do and be the very best that we can as we should. Um, But to to think that like once we achieve perfection, everything will be perfect and and everything will fall into place. And the reality is there's no such thing. There can always be improvement. Sure. But, you know, sometimes you have to be good and happy with where you are right now, because striving for for perfection may cause us to miss out on opportunities, not just opportunities, but on 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 feeling good, on being happy, right? And that's where happiness comes into play in the conversation. And the reality is, you know, happiness is as individual as we are, absolutely, but happiness is also a choice. Now there's a caveat to this happiness thing, and that's that it's not a constant. And that's okay too. You know, it's I, I liken it to watching uh, the, the heartbeat, right, on an EKG. We've all seen it in a movie. Maybe we've seen it in person. And you get your highs when things are going really good. You enjoy the heck out of them. And then sometimes you have some some low time, some downtime when things aren't going so well. And the idea is, you know, not to stay focused on that part. Understand that it's temporary and that you will go up again, just like a heartbeat. And just like with life, with the heartbeat, the only time you're in serious trouble is when you got that straight line, right? Because there's no coming back. <laughs> That is such a great analogy. I think that a lot of people think that happiness is a, I wrote two books on happiness myself and I talk about the happiness meter and that we all have, uh, we're all, everyone is happy. There's no such thing as someone is unhappy. In my opinion, there's a zero, but um, we're all somewhere between a one and a 10 and we can make a choice to try and aspire to be happier and We've got to realize that it is this. And the more we begin to cling to, oh my God, I need to be happy. Oh my God, I can't let that go. Oh my God, oh my God. Then the steeper the EKG monitor is. 
nailed it. <laughs> Tell me about inversity. It sounds really interesting that you're bringing together these three concepts. Sure, sure. Well, I, I thank you. I'm grateful for this opportunity to talk to you about it today um, because it is a new concept. It's certainly a new word for a lot of people. Um, but as we know, there are a lot of conversations right now happening around diversity and inclusion. And while I think that's definitely a, a good thing, I don't think necessarily all the way that we've been going about having the conversations have been as healthy as they could be. So the idea of inversity is still taking the part of diversity where we acknowledge and honor and reflect on all of the wonderful things that every individual brings to the table, their background, their heritage, their identity, right? Um, but it's expanding the idea of you know diversity being more than just our skin color, more than just our gender or sexuality. It's diversity of thought, diversity of ideas. And the idea of inversity is, again, to take the concept of honoring all that we are, but shifting the focus from what separates and divides us to what do we have in common? How can we be truly inclusive of one another? But most importantly and powerfully, how can we be introspective, right? Meaning understanding your value, your worth, your connection to humanity. Because when you can see those things in yourself, that's when you can then see them in someone else. So instead of trying to, you know, penetrate someone from the outside with the ideas of, you know, well, you shouldn't think that way and you shouldn't say that way and you shouldn't call somebody that, you know, you should, you should be way more sensitive. It's like coming from a place of introspection, right? Understanding, you know, how would I feel if this happened to me? How do I feel when I don't feel like I belong? Um, maybe I can then, you know, take that experience and apply it to a, a someone else. It sounds like compassion as opposed to um, rulemaking, yeah. almost. You know, I was surprised, and I don't know exactly what happened, that Bill Murray shut down the making of a movie recently by acting inappropriately. And he was like, things have changed since I was on Saturday Night Live in the 70s. I thought what I did was funny, and they haven't, that I've seen gone into it. But it does seem that every decade or so, um, things that were funny are no longer funny. And it seems like it should be that way. Um, I know that it seems like we're trying to sanitize comedy in the world, but I think it's possible to, to be funny without it necessarily being at someone else's expense. I agree with you to some extent. And the reason I say that is because I'm a professional comedian as well. And that's how I started. I know. That's I why began, I brought it up. <laughs> I began as a journalist. I like to say I'm a recovered journalist turned comedian. And part of my attraction to comedy was this was the one place where you got to tell the truth, right? Where you got to be authentically yourself. Um, you got to get people to think. Um, my motto is laugh, think, grow. Because usually when you're laughing at something, you're physiologically in a different space, um, mentally in a different space, you're open to hearing ideas and concepts that might normally be a bit taboo, like conversations around diversity. Um, and the idea is to use humor to heal, right? So my style is certainly not one of um, attacking people, of, of, of making people feel bad, but, you know, having you know, been 20 plus years in the comedy industry, yeah, I started when I was five, okay? Um, I understand that there is, you know, when times change, we do have to kind of change with them. But there are certainly things that were said innocently enough, you know, back in the day, that was, it was common. It, it, there wasn't 
a hypersensitivity that there is now. And I'm not saying that it's wrong to be cognizant and to be aware of how something may affect someone else, but there needs to be responsibility on both sides, right? There needs to be responsibility on the person saying something like, you know, is how may this affect someone else? But there also needs to be responsibility on the side of the person receiving it. You know, am I going to let this ruin my day? Like, was what was the intention, right? And I think so often we ignore the intention and just go with the interpretation, which very much can be a reactionary thing. And what a great way to have your day ruined, right? Because somebody said something that either you didn't understand or you don't agree with. And I like to think of it like this, you know, everybody is entitled to their own opinion. Opinions are like belly buttons. Everybody's got one, right? And we're all entitled to them. And we have to understand that, you know, someone, we may not all agree on everything. And I even say that in my university work, you know, I don't expect everybody to leave a session holding hands, singing Kumbaya. But what I do want people to leave with is understanding that we are all valuable. We are all worthy of respect. And, and that's where this, you know, the conversation has to lead to, you know, understanding maybe why somebody was upset or hurt and maybe why, you know, what you said may have uh, come across a certain way. Maybe there was a better way that it could have been said. But if we start canceling people out and not having these conversations, then we are stopping ourselves, you know, right in the middle of everything. And we're not going to make progress. In fact, we're going to revert because if we don't talk to one another, we're in serious trouble. And we deal with people as groups as opposed to individuals. Very much so. And that's the challenge. You know, if I can write you off as a liberal Democrat or Republican, whatever, and then all of a sudden, as Wayne Dyer said, if I label you, I negate you rather than having to deal with you as an individual, which is what it sounds like your approach is. It's, it's more looking at everyone's individuality as opposed to dealing with people as groups. Is that a Without good question, thumbnail of it? That's, you, you nailed it. You nailed it, Will. And, you know, the idea is, you know, yes, we are part of different groups, but we're, we're not monoliths. We're, we're part of varying groups. And, and why? Like, how insulting, right, to another person, how insulting to yourself to be just labeled as one thing? right? We are so much more than that. We are divinely placed here on this planet to express ourselves, to be who we are. And how dare anyone put a stereotype or a label or a moniker on any of us so that we feel like we have, we're stuck, right? We should be able to have full expression of who we are every single day, you know, and that's a blessing to do so. What's amazing to me, I finished a speech the other day and got off stage and uh, someone came up to me and I guess because I rep, I looked like him. Mm-hmm. You know what I you mean? Do. I do. Okay? Yes. He was a, right. I yeah. looked like his type. Then I believed what he believed. And having nothing to do with my speech, the first words out of his mouth were very political, bombastic. Mm. And I was like, isn't that interesting? You've confused me. Because I couldn't believe further than what you believe. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting how we see someone and we begin to then, auto, it's like a computer automatically checking boxes after that, rather than getting to know people. Oh, yeah. Well, and there's a neuroscience to it, right? Like there's, if we wanted to, you know, nerd out, we could talk about, you know, I love all the nerding out. Ways. Go for it. <laughs> We could talk about all the different ways that, you know, the mind works and how we identify and associate. And, you know, when we find something that 
we think we we know automatically, you know, our brain clicks into a certain tribalism mode, right? And it's but we do it on on so many different levels. The other day I was talking about how, you know, when you're you're you can be in a traffic log, you know, jam and people are trying to get in and you're like, "No, nobody's coming in because it's been a long day and you're tired. You just want to get home." But you know, you're driving a Honda and somebody else has a Honda and they put their blinker on. You're like, oh, come on over. We're in the Honda family. <laughs> that is so true. And even in just that little bit of tribalism is, yeah. is I, I've seen it. I mean, cause there's a lot of that driving down here where I am going into Miami and um, it's like the BMW seems to always be the one who's trying to zoom ahead of the line and cut in. And it usually takes a BMW or a nice Mercedes to let that one in. They're like, okay, I get it. <laughs> you know, right? I know, right? I know who you are. I know what's going on. <laughs> well, you've brought up a really good point because, and I've shared this before and it's historically factual. So it's not like I'm telling tales, but when I was in ministerial school, which is afterwards the complaint free movement started and all, we had two days of diversity training. One day was on sexual diversity and the other day was on uh, sexual, sexual orientation rather. And mm -hmm. was one day and the other was racial diversity. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. two full days taught by two different people. And in that, I found out that we weren't even allowing gays and lesbians to have at that point, holy unions on ground. Oh, right. And I was like, Really? It was, and it was yeah. like, they couldn't see, they couldn't see, they were teaching us, but could not yep. see. So we yep. put together a petition and they changed it. But I think in a lot of cases, organizations look around and say, everything's fine. Why should we oh. care about inclusion and diversity? So what would you say to that? Well, I would say that it's actually a very critical part of the conversation and not necessarily for the reasons that people think it is, right? Because there are a lot of people at this point in time, especially post-2020 George Floyd, who are like, oh, we got to do something, you know, and they're behind the eight ball and they're playing catch up. At least they recognize like there's a need for the conversation. But why is there a need for the conversation? Not just to check the box, not just to have quotas, right? But because when you truly have a diverse and inclusive environment, you are leveling up for success. And I think what a lot of people fail to realize is that when you, you know, diversity, again, it doesn't have to be just a number of a certain color of people or a number of a certain gender. It should be diversity because you're bringing in people with different experiences, different ideas, different backgrounds who can offer more so that you can do more so your potential is higher. And when we get caught up in the cog, again, of like the numbers, right, and the data, and not who the person is and what they can bring to the table, that's when I think we lose sight of what real, true diversity and inclusion is. And then there's the aspect of belonging. And I think we've all heard the analogy of, you know, diversity is, is um, you know, being invited to the dance and inclusion is being asked to dance. Well, belonging. Oh, wait, say that again. I hadn't heard that before. I like that. Say it again. Diversity is being invited, invited to, the dance, to the dance. Right. Mm. Inclusion is being asked to dance. Mm. And my twist on it is belonging is getting to, lex to select some of the music. Mm, okay. Interesting. Interesting. It reminds me, I think it was the New York Symphony Orchestra was people were like, you know, you're not diverse enough. There's not enough women, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they started um, 
doing the auditions for the orchestra behind a um, drape. And still more men were selected. And that just reinforced that men are better violinists or whatever. No, what happened was the women were wearing high heels. And when the judges heard click, 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 they automatically took them down a few notches in ability in their own minds and didn't even realize they were doing that. So then wow. they started saying everybody wears sneakers or whatever. Right, right. Flat and shoes. immediately, that's yeah, more women were hired. Well, when that's you've got everybody looks like me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you become a closed loop. You're, sure. It's, a, it's, well, an, echo, it's an echo chamber. It is. And we, we that's also part of human nature, right? We gravitate to what we know. We, mm. you know, the, the, the phrase birds of a feather flock together isn't just popular because it's cute. It rhymes. It's because it's true. And, and we do that by natural selection. That's part of our, you know, fight or flight survival instincts, right? Am I going to be safe here? Now, back in the day when we were cave people, it was, you know, am I physically going to be safe? Like, is this mm. a warring tribe? Is this a saber-toothed tiger? Now it's more, am I going to be psychologically safe, right? Am I going to be taken out of my comfort zone because I have to deal with somebody who doesn't look like me, who doesn't sound like me, who's not from the same place that I am, who isn't part of the same socioeconomic status, who doesn't vote like me, who doesn't love like me. And this fear factor, right? And and I think, you know, you and I can both agree that fear is really behind all of this, right? Fear is behind hatred. Fear is behind bias. Fear is behind anger and rage and and all of the things that we think um, are, 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 you know, outside of us. It's actually internal fear, fear of not having enough, not being enough, not, you know, being able to compete, not being able to, to stand our ground, fear of looking like the bad guy, you know, fear of looking like you're complaining, you know, so much fear is taking a hold, a, a stronghold on everyone. And now we're afraid to talk to one another because we don't want to say the wrong thing. Well, guess what? We're human beings. And this is where the perfect or happy kind of comes into play because we're not always going to say the right thing at the right time. And this is where we have to allow grace, not just for other people, but for ourselves. We need grace, we need forgiveness, and we need kindness. And that's a big part of the work that I do, which people don't think, like, how like how does that fall into a corporate program? Right. But you right. would be surprised. You would be surprised how many people... Once, you know, the message is relayed in that space, they're like, oh, yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And that has, I feel like that hasn't been an element of a lot of DNI programming for decades, quite frankly. It's been, you know, you don't say this, you don't say that, you know, this is how you need to treat the people. This is how many numbers you need to get. Well, where's, where's the grace? Where's the love? Interesting. That's the point. And we've talked a lot about that on this program, and that is a study a while back that good managers and bad managers both get the work done. The number one thing that they do is good managers manage attrition. There's not people jumping ship as quickly as they can. And it's just genuine caring. And yeah. uh, I see that some people have already made uh, comments to that effect. If you've got a comment, please uh, post it in the box. This is your opportunity as well to share. That's how we build this online community by you. And share. That's how we let other people know how, we, how and what we're doing. 
I want to uh, real quick touch on as everybody's going to come on and uh, leave questions or comments. Her name is Kareth Foster. Kareth.com, K-A-R-I-T-H. Where did Kareth come from? So many moons ago, my father was in the Air Force. He was a captain in the Air Force in Great Falls, Montana. And um, he and my mom were one of six black families on the entire base. In fact, their first year of marriage, they couldn't even live together because the base was full and nobody would rent a house to them because wow. it was 1967. I talk about this in my, my TEDx talk. Um, but the next year, they were able to move onto base together. And there was another family that was actually a mixed race couple, which was, you know, pretty extraordinary for that time, 1967. Yeah. And they had a daughter and her name was Kareth, but she spelled it C-A-R-E-T-H. And my mom said, if I ever have a little girl, I'm going to name her Kareth. Now she changed the spelling to, you know, K-A-R-I-T-H, but Kareth is actually Semitic in origin, like, you know, Arabic, Hebrew, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it means covenant, which is promise. And it's actually the covenant that God made with Abraham about success. There we go. Very nice. Very cool. Kareth, this has been wonderful. I wanted to just double check and see, you said you have a perfectionism quiz. Is that right? I do. I do. So I'm if, post that in the box here. Yeah. Go ahead and tell us about it then. Sure. So if you go to, well, kareth.com slash quiz, um, the idea is to find out kind of where you fall on the scale of perfectionism. You know, are you kind of a perfectionist light? Is perfection your middle name? And of course, once you, uh, you know, take the quiz, you will get feedback in the form of a video, which isn't just, again, you know, uh, kind of, I hate to say the word attack, but, you know, it's not to make you feel bad, it's to pull out, you know, the positives that are, you know, attributes that come with that, that quality, um, but also like how you can maybe kind of reel it back a little bit so that you're not missing out on the happiness and on the joy, um, which is what perfectionists can rob you of, perfectionism, excuse me. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like... To me, it's like stomping on the gas and the clutch at the same time. You're almost like not going anywhere because you're just struggling to be so perfect. When I was, I led a group of people to Africa to help build a hospital there for a few weeks. And there was a man there who was, who I'd never seen such perfectionism. It would, he was supposed to build a bookshelf and mm -hmm. um, it took him three days, which it took everybody else about 15 minutes. But he agonized and he measured and remeasured and remeasured. And you could see that almost it was like a, an illness, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, I call yeah. that perfection paralysis. There we go. Absolutely. And it's kareth.com forward slash quiz. Be sure and check on that. I have been going through some, I messed up my neck. Uh, so I'm going to see the chiropractor, but I keep singing this song over and over in my head. So everybody, this is our song of the day. Gareth, what we do is at the end of this, everybody, wherever we are in the world, whenever we're listening, we listen to a song, which I can't play because of copyright, but yeah. we invite everybody to attune themselves. So song of the day is love is my decision by Daniel Namod, my good friend. Check it out. Gareth, thank you so much for joining us. What an absolute pleasure, Will. Thank you for having me. Oh, my joy. Everybody, be sure and check out kareth.com forward slash quiz. Find out what kind of a perfectionist you are. Enjoy today. Alexa, play Love Is My Decision by Daniel Namod. Plain free world, no more, no more. Complaining people, their lives are changing with 
Flying high, creating a complaint-free world.